Hi, everybody. It's good to see you all, even virtually. So one thing is I wrote this um, like the end of February, beginning of March. I was done with it like by the middle of March before COVID really got bad and months before, a couple of months before the George Floyd murder. So if it sounds a little strange because it doesn't talk about those things, it's, uh, that, that's, that's why. Um, so the talk uh, is on the um, relationship between the uh, karma and the psychological concept of projection. And what I'm going to try to do is, uh, I guess the, the uh, talk's going to be in kind of two parts. One, I'm going to do a short review of karma and then also talk about uh, what projection, what I mean by projection and how it relates to karma. And then the second part of the talk, I'm going to talk about how we can use the idea of projection as a kind of tool to work with karma on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay. So I've never done this over Zoom, so I don't know how it's gonna go in reading and looking and whatever. Okay, uh, karma is one of the central concepts of Buddhism. It is the focus of four of the practices of the Eightfold Path right intention, right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Essentially, karma is the law of cause and effect, which means our actions have consequences and we're responsible for our behavior. From the Buddhist perspective, karma is intrinsically linked to the suffering and distress we experience in life. Acting out of our fear, anger, greed, and other impulsive emotions, we create negative patterns that bind us to frustration, disappointment, and despair. Dharma teachings often talk about breaking the cycle of karmic activity. Uh, they also refer to liberation as being free from the cycle of birth and death. They are really the same thing. Our karmic actions perpetuate the cycle of birth and death. Traditionally, Buddhism is focused on the individual effects of karma. Uh, if, I, if I act in a negative way, I will find myself in a life surrounded by negative conditions. If I act in a positive, constructive way, I will develop a life with positive merits and benefits. Sodasan talked about karma uh, uh, from a more mutual interpersonal perspective. If I act with hostility towards someone, I not only develop negative effects for myself in the future, but my actions will probably cause the other person to retaliate with anger, and this will have harmful effects for him or her. Sodasan used the metaphor of a cauldron to illustrate the power that karma has on us. If there is a big cauldron of boiling water and you pour a small amount of cold water on it, you will cool it a little temporarily, but the effect will be minor. Even if you pour a lot of cold water into the cauldron, as long as the fire is burning underneath, you will not have much of an effect. It is only when you remove the fire that is heating the cauldron that the boiling will cease. Sodasan used this metaphor to teach that when most of us try to change our negative behavior, we do not work at this consistently enough and usually we do not change the underlying motivation of our behavior uh, to produce real long-lasting change. 
Sodasan wrote, there are many people in the world who repent of their previous mistakes, but few who do not repeat these mistakes subsequently. Some people perform one or two types of merit through a temporary sense of repentance, but leave the greed, hatred, and delusions in, intact in their own minds. How can such persons hope to have their transgressive karma purified? This certainly rings true to me personally and professionally. In my experience as a psychotherapist, I have seen that it is difficult for most of us to change our behavior. That we, know, uh, that we know we have negative effects on ourselves and others. Oh, it, as a psychotherapist, I've seen that it's difficult for most of us to change behavior that we know has negative effects on ourselves and others. Changing ourselves is a gradual process and involves a lot of repetitive effort. A psychological concept that I have used to help people change and that I have used to try to change personally is called projection. It refers to the thought process that we use when we put our expectations and assumptions onto another person or situation. This usually occurs so quickly and seamlessly that we don't notice it. I want to discuss how projection operates and how it causes difficulties in our relationships because I think that working to identify and manage our projections can be a tool for our Buddhist practice. I think being aware of how we work to reduce our projections is a way of understanding how karma works on a day-to-day -day basis. So let me give some examples of how people project uh, to make the concept feel more tangible and clear. Someone comes home from work from uh, someone comes home from work later than he expected. As he approaches his apartment, he starts to feel tense, expecting his wife to be angry or annoyed. When he walks inside, his wife says, you're later than I thought you'd be. The man snaps and says, I couldn't help it. He hears his wife being more critical and aggressive than she is because he approached the situation with the anxiety that she would be angry. And it took very little to set him off. This man's mother often criticized him for being late both as a child and into adulthood. The man was then projecting his experience with his mother onto his wife. A woman, let's call her Anne, is in a graduate program. She finds that she gets very irritated when another student, Susan, speaks in class, especially if it is after something Anne has just said. One day, Anne gets angry at Susan and says, you're always interrupting me. Anne says to herself that Susan says things right after Anne because Susan is competitive and wants to outshine Anne. In this situation, Anne may be denying how competitive she is with people. Because Anne is very competitive as a person, she assumes this is how other people think. Anne projects her assumption about Anne's motivation onto Susan. Uh, Anne projects her assumption about Susan's motivation onto Susan and then experiences herself as being mistreated. Let's make things a little bit more complicated and say that Susan is being somewhat competitive. This is really not so unusual in a classroom environment. The point is that even though there might be some accuracy to Anne's assumption about Susan being competitive, it is Anne's projection that intensifies her feelings, which causes pain uh, for both Anne and Susan. 
An even more complicated situation is when two people are in an argument and they are both projecting thoughts onto one another, which fuels the intensity of the feelings on both sides. As an example, let's say there is a couple, Rob and Linda, who have been together for three or four years. One Sunday, they decide to work on cleaning up their apartment, getting rid of some things and recognizing and reorganizing others. After a couple of hours, Rob wants to take a break. Linda says that's fine, but she wants to finish organizing a closet. R Rob asks Linda to sit down with him and relax a few times. Linda says, no, she really wants to finish the project. As they keep repeating themselves, uh, they, increasingly get, uh, they get increasingly frustrated and irritated with each other until Rob yells at Linda that she is such a type A personality and can't even take it easy. Linda yells that Rob is a control freak and should leave her alone. Underneath the surface, uh, underneath the surface disagreement, Rob was feeling guilty for taking a break when Linda wasn't. He was worried that Linda would feel angry and resentful if he stopped working. He also started to feel rejected when she didn't want to sit with him. Linda was putting pressure on herself to finish the closet and resented Rob for suggesting she stop because it would only make her feel more anxious, not better. Linda also felt angry and anxious because she felt Rob was trying to control her. This had more to do with her mother being very controlling and judgmental when Linda was growing up than, than with the way Rob was being in the moment. Often in a marriage or long-term relationship, when people are arguing, there is an underlying level of both people projecting fears and assumptions onto each other that, is, that usually doesn't get expressed or clarified between, between the people. So now I'm going to talk about how we can use projection in our day-to-day in our -day practice. Being more mindful of how projections operate in our reactions to other people, I think can be a helpful tool in working towards managing and decreasing negative karmic actions and patterns. Returning to the me metaphor of the rumbling cauldron, Sotosan said there were two ways we can work on changing our karmic behavior. The method of repentance is of two types, repentance by action and repentance by principle. People who seek to free themselves must practice both in tandem. Identifying what is motivating our projections is like removing the fire that is underneath the cauldron. In order to remove the fires that are generating our negative karma, it is important to ask, what is the fuel of our fires? We all have different sensitivities to various people and circumstances. Why do some people at work bother us more than others? Why do some uh, personality traits uh, of our partners or family members bother, bother us more than others? Why do some subjects that we argue about raise more intense feelings than others? If you can ask yourself these questions when you are upset, they can help you identify what are the projections that are getting triggered in certain situations. In terms of the fuel that we use to keep reinforcing karmic patterns, we all have certain feelings and issues that are particularly painful. Some of us will be sensitive to criticism, while other people are more threatened by rejection and separation. 
Some people have a lot of difficulty trusting others, while some of us cling to our partners. Both of these tendencies can cause problems in relationships and get activated when conflicts arise. The point of these questions is that when you are feeling very angry, anxious, and depressed, it can be helpful to shift your focus from what is the other person doing to you to asking yourself, what am I projecting onto the other person? In order to decrease our projections, we first have to identify them. Part of this involves being honest with ourselves. A red flag that's, that some amount of projection is going on is how intense your emotional reaction is. Usually when we are very angry or anxious, it is an indicator that a projection is amplifying what we are feeling. For instance, if your partner is refusing to do something you want to do, this is disappointing, but it is not a betrayal. If a boss or manager doesn't approve a proposal of yours, that doesn't, does not mean he thinks that you are worthless. We need first to be aware of what our vulnerable issues are before we can think about managing our responses in a different way. It is often helpful to ask yourself, is there another way of thinking about what is going on in a situation? Is there an, another alternative intention that my partner, coworker, family member might be having than the one that I am assuming right now? So that's a way of getting a little unstuck if you can say, is there is their motivation maybe something different than I'm assuming? If I am feeling angry at being if I am feeling angry at being manipulated, taken for granted, or ignored, is this a typical response that I have? Am I overreacting to what might be legitimately annoying, but is not either enraging and enraging or crushing? Is there a way I can express my feelings in a more reasonable, less defensive way? These kinds of questions, either during or even after an upsetting interaction with someone, can help us slow the emotional responses that our projections set off. From both a psychological and Buddhist perspective, we want to become familiar with our projections so that we can eventually let go of them. Many of us can find ourselves fighting the same battles for years, even decades. The circumstances and people may change over time, but we repeat certain characteristic scenes from a play or a movie that we carry in our minds. On one level, we keep fighting these battles, hoping for a different outcome, which generally does not happen. Sometimes we are looking for a response from an authority figure like a teacher or a manager that does not really fit present situation. We might want the praise, attention, encouragement we did not get enough of in childhood that is not possible at work. We might want a partner to give a level of support, nurturance, and protection that is unrealistic in its expectations. At times, we might want a response that is more like a parental role than that of an interdependent reciprocal relationship between adults. Many times when we visit our families as adults, we find ourselves in familiar arguments and feel strong feelings of frustration and disappointment. We keep looking for the kind of unconditional acceptance and encouragement that we never received as children. We can, try, we can have the fantasy that if I try one more time, I will finally get through and feel understood. 
Often we hold on to our feelings of frustra frustration in order to also hold on to the hope that we can get the response we want. From a Buddhist point of view, we remain attached to desires that cause pain. From a psychological perspective, we have trouble acknowledging and accepting the limitations of our family members. When we can let go of our projections, we can be more free to accept ourselves and those close to us. We can know our vulnerabilities without being bound to them. We can see the limitations of our partners and family members without resenting or blaming them. Shunru Suzuki wrote about the traces our minds create that cause confusion and entanglements for us. Quote, when we practice Zazen, our mind is calm and quite simple, but usually our mind is very busy and complicated. This is because before we act, we think, and this thinking leaves some trace. Our activity is saddled by some preconceived idea. The thinking not only leaves some trace, but also gives rise, but also gives us many other notions about other activities and things. This seems to me to be a Buddhist description of how projections function and interfere with, with clearly seeing reality. One valuable aspect of Buddhist practice for me has been the importance of trying to simplify our lives. Part of living more simply means to not overthink things, things or, or situations. Being focused in the moment and letting things go is connected to not holding on to our projections of others, of how others have wronged us, or of doubting ourselves and replaying situations over and over again. Hopefully, slowing down our projections can help us to be more present in the here and now. Thank you.